0: Welcome to the Flatline with your host, Rick Hughes. For the next 30 minutes, you'll be inspired, motivated, educated, but never manipulated. Now, your host, Rick Hughes. Good morning, and welcome to the Flatline. I'm your host, Rick Hughes, and for the next few minutes, please stay with me. It's going to be 30 minutes of motivation, inspiration, education, and all done with no manipulation because we don't sell things. We're not here to hustle money. We're not here to have you sign up, join up, fess up, nothing like that. This show is only about one thing that's giving you accurate information, not human speculation, but accurate information from the canon of Scripture, the Bible. That's right, it is about the Bible, but not like you've heard before, not preaching and yelling and Jumping up and down and shouting, just giving you the short biblical promises, the principles, the concepts that are so lost today in modern religion. We are dealing <clears throat> with the flot line, and that is a military term for a forward line of troops. If you're a frequent listener of the show, you know we're using a military analogy to describe the Christian life. And we're talking about the 10 unique problem-solving devices found in the Scripture. These are nothing new. This is not some new discovery. This is not something I'm trying to sell you. This is the Word of God that always has been and always will be, and the operating principles and the procedures that are found therein. Because basically what we're trying to tell you is that God is a God of protocol and that a right thing must be done in a right way. Just as much as any coach of any football team or basketball team requires discipline and training and, and protocol, The right thing has to be done in the right way, our Father, our God, does the same thing. He has a plan for you, and that plan requires absolutely correct procedure. Here's what I mean by that. You can't live the Christian life in your own human power and your own human dynamics. That will not work. You must live the Christian life under the influence and the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit and under the direction and the guidance of the Word of God. Those two things make this a supernatural life. We have been given a supernatural life in Christ. We have been born again. We are new creatures in Christ. And now we have a physical body, and we have a spiritual life that goes in it. Before you accepted Christ, you didn't have a spiritual life. You just had a physical life. But now you have a spiritual life. And just like you have to metabolize food, convert it to energy to keep your physical life going, you must metabolize the Word of God to keep that spiritual life going. And I do remind you, before we get into our message today... I am not a pastor. My job is to direct you to a qualified pastor to show you where you can find a man, whether he is locally or not, that you can listen to and study under and grow on a consistent daily basis. Like myself, I for years I've been using uh, tapes or CDs or MP3s or DVDs to listen to my pastor who doesn't even live in the city that I'm in. He's in another city. But he accurately teaches God's word. And like me, there are hundreds of others who are frustrated with organized religion and find that it's not teaching anything. And thus, they sit at home sometimes and listen to DVDs or MP3s. In some cities, great churches have sprung up and some pastors have been there, and this is what's different about a, a really squared-away pastor. Some of these pastors have been there 30 and 40 years. And uh, they're not sensational, but they are thorough, and they exegete the Scripture. They teach the Word of God, and the sheep and their congregation grow consistently and become mature believers that glorify God to the maximum. And that's all we're saying is we want you To find that right pastor for you where you can grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and I'm just a voice I'm a window a breath of fresh air hopefully to let you see what's available and what's out there now we in studying the 10 problem solving devices we started a subject last week called the flawed believer having a flaw and we talked about acquired flaws, and we talked about inherent flaws. And We went to a passage in Luke with the prodigal son, and we talked about the two boys, the one that took his inheritance and left and went on a journey and basically blew all the money, and then the son that stayed at home. And we showed you how when the first son came back after he had wasted his inheritance, the second son got real bitter and real jealous and wanted nothing to do with him, even though the father freely forgave him and welcomed him back into the family. And that's a beautiful picture of rebound, problem-solving device number one. When you sin, the Bible says if we confess our sin, and God is faithful, he's just to forgive us and to purify us from all of our wrongdoing. And in verse 21 of Luke 15, the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned, against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son." He didn't even think he could be a son, but that's not true. God doesn't take away your inheritance. When you sin, even if you turn your back on God, and you go down the my way highway like you might have done, God did not take away your inheritance. He's still your heavenly Father. He loves you just as much today as he did then and maybe he's allowed some discipline to come into your life to cause you to take a look around and realize I'm making a horrible mistake. But you know the second son he wasn't doing anything bad he was being very faithful to stay home and mind his dad and do all the work around the farm and when the first son came back he got bitter he said in Luke fifteen thirty, as soon As this son of yours, he didn't call him my brother, this son of yours, as soon as he came home, the one that devoured his assets with prostitutes, you had a party for him. Well, first of all, how would he know what the first son did with the money? And perhaps, if you think about it, maybe someone had seen the first son and told his older brother where he was and what he was doing. And the older brother never told the dad. And the dad worried every day, where's my son? Where's my son? So this flawed believer, the older brother, he thought that he was okay. See, it's hard for a flawed believer to apply the word of God to his self because he's always thinking how it ought to apply to you. In his arrogance, he thinks that he's okay. In his arrogance, he thinks that he's good guy, and he is quick to judge you, quick to malign you, quick to put you down, and he's filled with bitterness and filled with malice. That is an acquired flaw. That's the flaw of arrogance in your life. So this uh, concept we went into called the preconceived notions about the myth of life In other words, we've been propagandized with some myth out there that here it is, here's the propaganda we hear, the circumstances constitute happiness. You know, you watch TV like me, and you see some guy on the beach sitting in a bathtub drinking a cool one, and he says, I'm having a ball down here on this tropical island. Or you see some guy on a cruise ship, or you see this or that. And people try to tell you, this is where happiness is. Take a trip, spend some money, go on a journey, and you'll be happy. Or you see someone driving a new car, expensive car, and this will make you happy. You can just get that new car or get that new home. Actually, virtue and integrity and honor based on the Word of God in your soul, that's real, true happiness. And that's why our Lord Jesus Christ told the woman in Luke eleven twenty seven 27 and 28 that happiness belongs to those people who hear my Father's Word and who keep it. There's nothing wrong with the details of life. There's nothing wrong with having a nice car. There's nothing wrong with having a nice home. There's nothing wrong with taking a trip as long as you understand that is not the source of your happiness plus h are sharing the happiness of god problem solving device number nine it's critical that you remember that if you haven't can't remember it if you don't know what it is maybe you need to write to me and get that book christian problem solving because we have all these problem solving devices listed and our lord jesus christ used happiness his happiness as a problem-solving device. Listen to what he said in John 15, 11. I have taught you these things, that my happiness might be in you, and that your happiness might be fulfilled. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ said. I taught you these things so you can be happy. And that's the happiness we're talking about, not the happiness that the world offers, not happiness that depends on people or circumstances, but the happiness that comes from having the life of contentment and tranquility in Jesus Christ. That's the amazing thing, the tranquility of your soul, the contentment of your soul. You want to know a real mystery before we go too much further? People that don't have contentment never have capacity. In other words, if you're not content with what you have, regardless of what God gave you, you still would want more. You know, your father would like to fill your cup up, but you would not be happy with it, and you would want more, and you would want more, and you would want more, because you're not content, and you don't have capacity to enjoy what you have. And so when you have the kind of plus H that we're talking about, this happiness that our Lord Jesus Christ taught us, then you have tranquility in your soul, a relaxed mental attitude. You're content, as Paul said, I've learned to be uh, have a lot, or I've learned to have a little doesn't make any difference. You have capacity then, capacity to live and love, and you have great enthusiasm, stimulation from the Word of God in your soul. You have the ability to motivate yourself from within, You don't have to sit around waiting on somebody else to come along and make you happy. When you have self-stimulation, you take the initiative and you provide your own enjoyment. And if you have capacity for life, then you are full of contentment. Lack of contentment means you're distracted and you get your eyes on the gift rather than the giver. Well, this second son, He wasn't content, and neither was the first son. And both of them had to learn a lesson. Now let me tell you, there are three things that you must understand to recognize a myth. Recognizing a myth is not impossible. These three things that give the recognition of myths and difficulties, it's not impossible. Here they are. First of all, self-righteous arrogance that's looking into the mirror of arrogance and seeing yourself as you think you are. Let me just run over it. Listen carefully. An arrogant person always is full of self-justification, self-deception, self-absorption. He justifies why he does what he does, he deceives himself into thinking he's okay, and he gets totally absorbed with it. And that can lead to self-destruction. Self-righteous arrogance On the part of the older brother who thought he was good he thought he had earned his father's favor he thought his father should have thrown a party for him and he complained you never even gave me a billy goat to have a barbecue with my friends and this stupid young brother comes home and you kill the fatted calf see he was bitter because he had self-righteous arrogance Religion is like this. The worst people in the world are self-righteous religious people who will kill you and think they're doing God a favor. They are the worst people in the world. Self-righteous religious people are impressed with themselves, and they are convinced that God is impressed with them also. And the Bible says there are none that are righteous, no, not one. The Bible says we don't have any righteousness unless we receive the righteousness of Christ. That's why it says he that knew no sin was made sin for us so that we may be made the righteousness of God through him. So you're never going to recognize the myth that people and circumstances in life can make you happy until you get out of that self-righteous arrogant attitude. Another thing that will keep you blind is disassociation. This is when you separate from truth or from reality in your life, and it always causes you to have garbage in your subconsciousness. If you have all this garbage floating around in your mind, it's called scar tissue, and that hinders you from identifying the problems you face, and it hinders any stimulation that comes from the Word of God. And a lack of authority orientation is the third. Lack of authority orientation. You've got to remember who's in control. There can only be one captain of the ship. And until you remember that and orient and adjust to the authority, you're never going to be happy. And if you are a Christian, Jesus Christ is your authority. It is his word, his mandates found in the scripture that you obey. So when he says, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest he meant that. Your place of contentment is in the person of Jesus Christ. It's knowing him as your Lord and Savior. It's letting him give your life meaning and purpose. Without that You will never have contentment. Let's go to Mark chapter 9 for a minute. And let me show you how the disciples had to learn this the hard way. They, uh, in Mark chapter 9, verse 33, this is the the disciples arguing among themselves about who was the greatest. And they came to Capernaum, and being in the house, this is in the house of Peter, uh, they asked him, uh, he asked them, excuse me, what they had been talking about on the road amongst themselves. And of course, he knew what they had been talking about. This is God. And they held their peace. They didn't want to say, they didn't want to admit it. And it goes on to say in verse 34 For on the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Now, remember, this is them thinking they were going to come into the kingdom of God in their lifetime they had been warned in verse 31 that he would be killed listen to verse 31 he taught his disciples and said unto them the son of man is delivered into the hands of men and they shall kill him and after he's killed he will rise again on the third day but they understood not that saying and they were afraid to ask him so they didn't comprehend this they had no idea that the man they was following they were following was going to be uh, criminal number one on the charts that he would be executed publicly and they had no idea that they were going to be criminals and prosecuted themselves and they were arguing about when they got into the kingdom the kingdom which has now been postponed and the church age inserted they were arguing who's going to be sitting next to Jesus in the kingdom and he set them down And he called those twelve, and he said unto them, If any man desires to be first, then the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a child. Now keep in mind, he's in Peter's house. More than likely, this could have been one of Peter's own children. And he set him in the middle of those disciples. And when he had taken him into his arms, he said unto them, Whoever shall receive one of these children in my name receives me. And whoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but the one that sent me. So here we have the Lord Jesus Christ. He's healed a demon-possessed boy. And the Lord and his disciples have gone through Galilee on the sly. They had to get away from the prosecutors that were after him. And they went down to Capernaum to Peter's house. And these disciples had been having a heated discussion about which one was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, even after observing the Lord face to face, they were still self-absorbed. Self-absorbed. This is part of the trend of arrogance. Self-absorbed. Yes, they were completely self-absorbed. They were completely preoccupied with their self. The only way that you're going to grow up as a believer is to get away from this. Preoccupation with self will stop you from ever living the Christian life. I don't know where you go to church, I don't know what you're involved with, but the next time you walk in, don't you dare walk in there and think you're the smartest one there. Don't you dare walk in there and think that you're the only one there who is uh, close to God that's absolutely the wrong thing to think we have all have families jobs hobbies careers it's never about us we are here to represent him we are here to replicate his life to those around us we are here to see to their needs ask about them pray for them do they have the word of god in their soul and stay off you Don't talk about you unless they ask to be briefed about you. There's nothing more boring than someone that wants to launch in about them and tell you all about their details, their trials, their tribulations, their troubles. And so many people do it. Sometimes they don't even know they're doing it. That's all they have to talk about. These disciples were so preoccupied with themselves that they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. I mean, come on, they observed the Lord. They learned some doctrine, but they had gaps. They didn't have that 10 unique problem-solving device that you and I are talking about. They had gaps in the flotline. They were self-absorbed. They got subjective, and they got into inordinate competition with each other in mark nine thirty five he set him down and talked to him and told him and then in mark nine thirty six he took a child and set the child in front of them. What a wonderful way to teach to illustrate the importance of humility as a virtue in the spiritual life. Humility is critical. you know why? Because humility is teachability. That's why the Bible says, "Humble yourselves." before the mighty hand of God. In Philippians 2.5, it talks about how Christ humbled himself. The one key thing about humility is it is always authority orientation. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ said on the cross, not my will, but thy will be done. The night before he went to the cross, thy will be done. He was oriented to the authority of the Father. None of these apostles would accept authority of the others. They argued until finally Paul came around and they figured out he was the smartest one in the bunch. Humility is grace orientation. It's a reflection of the Word of God in your soul. Humility gives you objectivity, not subjectivity, not turning everything in towards yourself all about you and self-absorbed. And humility is biblical orientation, which means your life has basic values, and those values are the function of your spiritual life. You hear that? In Matthew eighteen three, truly I say unto you, unless you turn around in your soul, that's salvation, and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. There is no greatness in God's kingdom unless a person is first converted by turning to Jesus Christ in faith. And you know if a child can be saved, so can an adult. So Matthew 18, 4, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. That child was in awe in the presence of the Lord and in the presence of those apostles. He didn't run off at the mouth. He wasn't talking. He was silent. He was respectful. He was helpful. And he was not afraid. He was in total dependence on his family. That's why childlike faith is directed towards the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like a child directs his faith towards his mom and dad. He knows they're going to provide and care. Have you lost your childlike faith? in the plan of God? Have you? The protocol plan of God is devised by the providence of God in the divine decree in eternity past, and it's greater than any plan you could ever conceive or devise on your own. I mean, come on, sometimes we all have our own plans. We all have our own priorities, our own scale of values, and they don't always line up with God's directive will, do they? Those priorities can be arrogance because of some ambition, inordinate ambition, some sort of competition with others, and that's the evil. So the plan is pretty simple. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, priority number one. Number two, learn the spiritual mechanics of the Christian life, priority number two. Number three, identify your spiritual gift. And use it, understanding that others must come first. You cannot just walk away from spiritual gifts because it's inconvenient to you. I've seen people that walked away from the plan of God. They should have been in the ministry. They were given the gift to communicate the word of God. And they walked away from it for something else. And it's always a bad, bad thing. So the older brother was angry, frustrated, upset, and judging his younger brother, and uh, way, way, way out of fellowship. His anger and his arrogance had destroyed his testimony, even to his father. What about you? Do you get that way? Do you have that sort of anger and bitterness and inordinate competition with one of your siblings? You're out of line. And that's not the spiritual life. I hope you're listening. I hope you're paying attention. Because you can acquire flaws by means of your own arrogance that will block you from ever glorifying God and ever growing up as a Christian. I hope you've been paying good attention. And I hope next week you'll come back and join us again. Same time, same place. Until then, this is your host, Rick Hughes, saying thank you for listening to The Floodline. Thank you for listening to The Floodline with your host, Rick Hughes. If you'd like to contact Rick, please write to him at P.O. Box 100, Cropwell, Alabama, 35054, or online at www.rickhughesministries.org.